Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Self-love is to remember yourself in everything you do. And self-indulgence is to basically say, only I matter. And of course, when you enter a relationship, you're now with someone else. So you're creating this shared story. But at the same time, a lot of people compromise their autonomy for their partner. And that's where codependency happens a lot of the time. You almost merge into your partner and you don't recognize your separate identities, your separate journeys. Hi, and welcome to Alonement, the podcast about time alone and why it matters. I'm Francesca Spector, host of this podcast and author of Alonement, a book based on this very show. I'm also a reformed extreme extrovert who a few years ago, discovered the life-changing benefits of spending time alone. Each week, I interview someone I'm curious about to discover what solo time means to them. In every conversation, we celebrate the unique benefits of time spent alone, regardless of your age, life stage, or relationship status. Because when alone time isn't lonely, it's alonement. You can't really love anyone until you love yourself. While we see this a lot on Instagram, it's something that actually requires a lot of exploration as an idea. And it's my guest this week, the best-selling author and mind coach, Bex King, that many of us have turned to over the past few years. His books are all about the true power of self-love. First, there was 2018's Good Vibe, Good Life. And later in 2021, he published Healing is the New High. Now, Vex is back with his new title, Closer to Love, an essential guide to bringing those lessons into dating and romantic relationships. In this episode, he shares a little sample platter of that wisdom. We discuss everything from how Vex's difficult upbringing made him the person he is today, how he's navigated what he calls the verb or action that is love in his own relationship with his wife, and finally how to cultivate self-love if you're looking for a relationship but haven't quite found one yet. This season is brought to you by West Lab, the UK's number one trusted bath salts brand. Their best-selling Dead Sea bath salt range contains minerals that come from the famous waters themselves, Fun fact, it's actually a lake, not a sea, that's found in the lowest point of the earth and was the world's first spa, visited by Cleopatra herself. 
Dead Sea Salt is a skin hero containing a unique blend of magnesium, calcium and potassium, which is brilliant for protecting and repairing your skin barrier and managing conditions like eczema, psoriasis, acne and sensitive skin, together with soothing any aching muscles. I'm also kind of in love with magnesium for its mood balancing qualities. It's nice to think that your mind and body are being looked after while you're soaking there in the tub. West Lab Dead Sea Bath Salts are vegan, cruelty-free and suitable for the whole family, including babies aged three months and up. Use the code ALONEMENT15 for 15% off when you spend £10 or more. T's and C's in the show notes. When I think of alone, I think of solitude. I think of nurturing myself, being comfortable in my own company and being at peace with who I really am. So for me, especially with Closer to Love, like you just beautifully said, although we think it's about the outward connection, it's really about returning home to your own heart and knowing who you are, your values, your preferences, your likes, your dislikes, um, your needs, your expectations. And that comes as a result of solitude. It means spending time alone. But so many of us are scared of spending time alone because we have to face up to ourselves. We have to face our truths. We have to face things that we might have been hiding from. Um, and although we are social creatures who need to connect to other people, a lot of the time we forsake our own needs to connect to other people. We look to fill voids and these empty spaces that exist within ourselves through other people. So the idea of being alone is really scary because it's like, oh, if I'm alone, then, you know, I, I, I won't be able to fill myself up or I'll, I'll be lost in the world. I'll be confused. And so we cling to other people and try and find ourselves through other people, which obviously doesn't make sense at all because to really know ourselves, we have to face ourselves. And for me, that's what being alone has given me. It's given me the ability to know who I am at my core. And over the years, I've definitely built a healthier relationship with with being alone and finding solitude. I was tapping away then trying to get this, this quote up because it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite quotes from Bell Hooks, which okay. is, uh, knowing how to be solitary is central to the art of loving. Mm -hmm. And when we can be alone we can be with others without using them as a means of escape and I think listening to you listening to how you described how we often use sort of being around other people as a sort of means of escape and and, and getting away from our thoughts it it made me think of that and I think that what your book does so beautifully is it talks about love or indeed I guess romantic love with other people as something that's distinct from that, distinct from just sort of using them as a means to escape and actually gaining something something greater from that. Yeah. So how, how would you describe that distinction? I think, so if we talk about love as an experience, for example, now I remember before I was writing this book, I was trying to work out what love meant in a psychological aspect. I was trying to work out what love meant in practical terms to, to people and then I've kind of embarked on this spiritual path and I have a few teachers around the world and I was trying to create a bridge of understanding between 
the practical element of love and the spiritual element of what love means to a lot of teachers and healers around the world. And one thing one of my teachers said to me was that love doesn't come from other people. It doesn't come from objects of desire. It doesn't come from the winning lottery ticket. It actually comes from within yourself. And I said, well, that, that sounds that sounds great, but I know I feel loved by, say, my wife. So does that mean she's not loving me? He said, wait, hold on for a moment. You feel loved. The person, your wife, just evokes the feeling of love that already exists within you. So therefore, love must already exist within you. What we tend to do is we tend to look for love in other people. And we hang on to ideas of infatuation, ideas of excitement, of pleasure, and we call it love. But love has always been within you. And what our kind of job is, especially within romantic relationships, is to find the perfect mirror for the love that we return to ourselves over and over again. I don't know if you've heard this in any of my other podcasts, but there's this analogy that I give. So think of love as this wellspring of water that exists within yourself. And it's the purest form of water that could ever exist. A lot of the times we're thirsty for love, right? So we go out into into the world and we look for things that's going to fulfill or quench our thirst. And we come across people that might offer us alcohol. They might offer us caffeinated beverages, coffees, teas, and so forth. And because it looks like water, we accept it. And in the moment, or short term, it feels good. For example, coffee can be energizing. A lot of us can't start our day without coffee. Um, caffeine, energy drinks, they could give us poison and we will accept it because we're so thirsty. And actually, it doesn't nourish the body. And we find that out soon after. And we kind of return to this feeling of emptiness when that heightened feeling of joy has has dissipated. Now, imagine if you were aware of this wellspring of the purest form of water within yourself, when you go and access that water within yourself, you realize that it nourishes your being and you know how that really feels, how organic that experience is. Now, if you went out into the world and someone offered you poison or they offered you alcohol or something else that wasn't water, because you've identified the purity of love that exists within yourself, you would be able to see the difference. And you would be able to say, thank you so much for offering me the alcohol, the energy drink or whatever it is. But I don't need that because I'm full of my own love. And maybe the other person needs that and you're happy to share with that person. But does that mean that you would you know, go into a relationship with that person? Probably not because there's not a mutual exchange of energy. Then you come across someone who you then identify has access to that same wellspring of love within within themselves. And suddenly you're not trying to fill these voids to the other person. You just want to enjoy that person as they are. And this is what I think I'm trying to encourage through Closer to Love, is that, sure, we're going to have some expectations within our relationships. We're going to expect our partner to, to show us affection, um, to understand our needs, to 
cater to us at times when we're feeling low. But I think there's so many unhealthy expectations that we have as well when we go into relationships. We expect the other person to complete us. We expect the person, the other person to be this subjective idea of perfection when we lack certain qualities ourselves. And I think self-love really is the solution to all of this. It's to fill our own cups so we're not looking at other people to fill them for us. That really takes some kind of self-understanding. It takes self, self-trust. self I suppose it encourages us to really look within ourselves. To find someone that's compatible for us, we need to understand who we really are, what we're drawn to, um, perhaps why we might have recycled certain unhealthy relationship dynamics, like what was going wrong in those on, in those previous relationships. What are we drawn to? What types of people are we attracted to? Um, when we spend time alone and start to really embark on this kind of journey of self-exploration, we're also able to heal previous emotional wounds. We're able to realize our triggers, things that we keep repeating and why we keep repeat, repeating those certain things. Because when you join a, a relationship, usually we're seeing our partner, especially in the early stages, the honeymoon stage or the infatuation stage through these kind of rose tinted glasses and we're seeing their best bits. And then suddenly we see the humanness in that other person. And a lot of the time what happens in that moment is people see almost their hero fall and they start doubting love or the relationship itself. But we've just lived in this heightened state for a certain period and we've seen all these positive traits in the other person. So when they start showing who they actually are beneath all of that, we start creating all these doubts and our insecurities come out. If we've done the healing, instead of looking for the other person to fill certain voids or fix gaps within our self-esteem, we can start to enjoy that other person as they are because you've been vulnerable with yourself. You've realized that there's these subjective flaws within yourselves, that you realize that you're not a perfect individual, that there are things you're ashamed of, things that you've hidden, things that you've suppressed deep within you. And when another person shows up as they are, you're able to accept them because you've shown yourself that grace. Coming back to that analogy of water versus sort of being given alcohol by someone and taking that for love I quite I quite like that as a practical example because I don't know I think sometimes when we use these analogies and as you very brilliantly put it into you know terms everyone would understand you know we 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 get that water is good for us that alcohol is unhealthy that often we think we want one when we actually need the other it made me think actually Mm -hmm. previously in relationships where I might have looked for love or what I thought was love uh, that, that was actually sort of being smothered and being maybe codependent and, and not giving each other that space. And it was only for me. Um, and, I, you know, I think for a lot of people listening to this show, for a lot of people who are interested in the concept of spending time alone, it's only through learning what that time can mean for you that you can then appreciate mm-hmm. someone who gives you that gift. And I do think it is a loving gift of, solitude and i'm i'm putting that into my own vantage point and the the subject that i sort of look at most but i think there's all sorts of examples of that i do however the something i do struggle with sometimes mm-hmm. as i think perhaps speaking for 
speaking as someone who's been single for a few years and, you know, I guess on behalf of a lot of single people I know who I do think are sort of quote unquote heels, who I do think are quote unquote very whole, very giving, well-rounded people in a lot of ways, there's this notion that you have to be fully heels until you can find self-love. And you do sort of unpack that in your book because you say that your self-love journey started before you got together romantically with your wife, Corshaw, who I believe you've been married to for five years and together for 14, something incredible yep, like right, that. Yep. Yes. <laughs> um, but you did say, you know, it started before and that was the sort of roots of that relationship, but it definitely intensified within that relationship and that it was it was a space where you felt able to confront a lot of your vulnerabilities and, you know, a lot of things that you sort of needed to look at in order to reach that place of self-love. I wonder how do we cultivate that in the absence of a romantic relationship that that journey that you went through uh sort of half in a relationship and half not is that logical or is there a sort of necessary part two that we have to do once we're in the relationship what i've learned certainly on my own journey is that self-love matters all the time and i think people sometimes confuse self-love with self-indulgence so self-love, and I actually posted a daily message today, which which kind of sums it up. Self-love is to remember yourself in everything you do. And self-indulgence is to basically say, only I matter. And of course, when you enter a relationship, you're now with someone else. So you're creating this shared story. But at the same time, a lot of people compromise their autonomy for their partner. And that's where codependency happens a lot of the time. You almost merge into your partner and you don't recognize your separate identities, your separate journeys. Before I met Koshal, I went through a very painful heartbreak uh, there was one in particular, which I felt was quite traumatic to me. And I, I think a lot of men struggle with admitting that. There was something that distorted or skewed my whole perception of women and love and relationships. And I decided that I needed to devote time to myself and that I needed to work out who I was beyond the relationship, beyond what that ex-partner had made me feel. And my wife, at the time, you know, I hadn't met her, but she had gone through a very painful experience or heartbreak herself as well. And that was a catalyst for change for her as well. And it was so strange because we both had said to ourselves that we weren't looking for a partner, that we were just devoted to our own kind of journeys. And we wanted to to, to love ourselves in in a kind of full of aspect and as we did that, we almost gravitated towards each other. We came across each other coincidentally, I would say, and things just felt right and nothing felt forced. But then as we entered a relationship, there were still so many insecurities, so many fears, so many vulnerabilities that came to the surface and they would come during times of conflict. There is this notion out there that you need to be healed before you enter a relationship. And I would actually kind of push back on that because 
what does it actually mean to look fully healed? I don't think anyone can give you a consistent answer. If you asked someone who's well-versed in spirituality, they would say a fully healed person would be an enlightened being who's almost happy all the time. If you asked a psychologist, they would completely disagree with that and say it's probably not even attainable to be happy all the time. There's experiences that have been traumatic for us. And I know sometimes therapists especially talk about big T and little t types of trauma. So trauma that's pretty subtle and trauma that's quite intense. But every time we step out into the world, there's always experiences. There's always things that are going to like knock our confidence. There's things that are going to knock us back. It's almost like as soon as you step out the door, the world's got this kind of agenda against you and you're trying to just navigate your way through the world. All these things create an impression that we kind of download into our psyche. And there's moments where we overthink, we feel challenged, we feel saddened by the things that we've experienced. And when we're in a relationship, those things that we've experienced, maybe away from the relationship, just become more intense, especially during a time of conflict. I suppose I'm getting to two things is that healing is a journey that I think you go through throughout your life. And to be fully healed is probably a concept that doesn't quite exist because we're almost healing from something. I suppose if we weren't healing from something, we would be able to live in a state of equilibrium where we're almost always steady. And I don't think any human that I've come across, certainly, apart from maybe one or two yogis who have meditated for most of their life, can do that. The other thing is, is that it's healing isn't linear. There were times where I thought I've healed from that thing, that particular thing, and I'm okay now. And then <laughs> something has triggered me. It might be I don't know, something someone said or an experience or I don't know, just something that's occurred in the world, which has suddenly, I don't know, brought certain feelings that I might have suppressed to surface. And I think, wow, like I thought I'd healed from this thing. And it almost feels like in this moment, I've taken 10 steps back. So I think we have this challenge where we get into a relationship, even if we think we've healed so much. And don't get me wrong, if you feel whole and you feel good, I'm sure that there's so much healing that you, you, you've you done and so much progress that you've made. And I felt the same before I met my wife. I felt I was in a good place. But to say that I never got triggered again or that that old pain never resurfaced would probably be me lying because there were times where me and Kosha, especially in our kind of I would call it the immature love days where she would say something that would hurt me because she was hurt and then I would hurt her back. And it would kind of just, I don't know, you're almost reliving some of the older pain. And it just shows you that although you've healed, there's still a long way to go, but that's completely okay. So I think within a relationship, or if you're not in a relationship, we're letting go of old pain you know, a number of times and we can be in a place which feels good and it feels like, you know, we're healing, but don't be hard on yourself. If when you get into a relationship after you've been single and you feel healed, if that old pain resurfaces, because a lot of the time healing is not just a matter of letting go of things once or twice, it's 
letting go of things a number of times. And as you let go of certain old pain, there might be new pain that you've adopted from new experiences, which you then need to let go of as well. So it's a journey, I think, that continues throughout your life. And I think we just get almost not accustomed to it because things are still hard. Like even to this day, I think I'm in a much better place than I was when I was a child. But I think you almost become comfortable with processing pain. It's almost like, okay, I've, I've processed it. I've processed it before and I can process it again. And that's completely okay. Do you think there's something almost subconsciously quite attractive when you first got into that relationship with Koshal in that you were both sort of saying, oh, we, I don't sort of need to be with someone. I'm on my own journey. Do you think there was something quite, I don't know, attractive to one another in that independence and pursuit of self-love? Potentially. I think, I think, especially for people dating around, I've heard this from friends, that they find someone that doesn't need you but still desires you quite attractive. And I suppose I saw that in Koshal as well unconsciously, that although she enjoyed my presence and she wanted to be around me, I also knew that she didn't need me because she didn't need me to fix something within herself. She didn't need me to help her kind of raise her confidence. And so I suppose there was something unconsciously attractive about that. But in complete honesty, I think what felt right about Koshal in particular, compared to especially, I suppose, previous relationships, is that there was no kind of games in it, it, when we first met each other. There wasn't like, you know, she wouldn't text me and I'd be like, okay, I need to wait uh, maybe like 10 minutes or maybe an hour or two. And just to show that I'm not desperate and then text her back, it was almost like, I'm excited to speak to you. There's this connection there. Call it a spiritual connection or something deeper, but it feels... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. 
But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It feels like I've known you for a lifetime. It feels like the present moment, you know, feels like it's full of bliss and I can really see a future with you. And I was just excited to to speak to her. And there was this constant energy exchange back and forth. And I suppose we'd, we just become comfortable with being who we truly are instead of trying to impress the other person. And don't get me wrong, I was still trying to impress her to some degree because I really enjoyed her company. And I'm sure she was trying to do the same. But there weren't these games. There was just this honesty. I found it really compelling uh, in your book and, and also just from the answer you gave a little earlier when you used Eric Crumb's term mature and immature love. You made that distinction. I want to ask you a question that it might sound a bit flippant, but I don't mean it to. I, I, I mean it honestly uh, out of curiosity. What what makes your now, I assume, sort of mature relationship um, and, and love, and, and I'd love you to define those terms, how you understand them, with your wife, Koshal, mm-hmm. so so great and so uh, successful by your own definition of mature love? It's a great question. Um, I think the best way to put it is first, uh, I would just like to say like mine and Koshal's relationship isn't perfect by any means. And when I wrote this book, I actually avoided writing this book for a lot of reasons because I didn't want to put mine and Koshal's relationship on a pedestal where like every other couple out there um, you know, sometimes our wounds get the better, best of us. We have disagreements. Uh, there'll be moments of instability. There'll be, you know, sometimes back and forth bickering or we'll argue about what's for dinner tonight. Like they're just the normal, I think the normal experiences of being human and being in a relationship. So I just want to clarify that. But I think what's changed over the years is. When I first said I love you to Koshal, I almost felt like there was this pressure. There was this intense care that I felt towards her. I couldn't see my life almost without her. And I told her that I loved her. But within that moment, I was expecting her to say it back. And of course she did because she was over the moon. She said, oh my God, you love me. I love you too. And it's like, wow, this feels like a fairy tale. And you see these on reality TV shows um, at the moment, Love Island's <laughs> airing. And a lot of the time people say, I love you very quickly because they're developing these strong, intense feelings. And sometimes those feelings can actually mean I'm I'm attached to you. I can't see my life without you. And they actually stem from fear. But when I say I love you to my wife now, A, I know they're only words, but that love to me is so much purer and selfless. There's no expectations. It's not a a statement that signifies trade. Even if Koshal wasn't present in my life and, you know, God willing that, that, that nothing like that would happen. But even if it did, I would always want the best for her. And I think that's the difference in our kind of evolution of love is before it came from a conditional sense. It was like, I love your actions. I love when you do this for me. I love when you say I love you. I love when you show me love in this particular way. I love when 
you make me feel safe. Like, although those things are normal, they come as a result of, of actions. So they're very conditional. But now when my wife and I say we love each other or we demonstrate love towards one another, there's, there's less expectation. There's not, I will love you if you do this for me in return. Or I don't say I love you to her if she like cooks me a nice meal, because again, that's quite conditional. It's saying, I love your actions and I will only express love to you when you cook a particular meal for me. So I suppose the nature of the love has become purer. It's become deeper and it doesn't seek anything in return. But at the same time, there's this knowingness within myself that I am loved by Koshal and Although I don't expect her to say I love you in return, I almost know that she will. And it might not be through the words, it might be through actions. And that's why I also say love is a verb, because love needs actions that replenish the essence of love. Actions help us experience love in a tangible way. And that's why we never stop showing our partner that we love them through the small actions which signify what love means within the relationship. I mean, we all have different love languages, right? And for some people, yeah. words are very important. But, you know, for me, I, I suppose, I, I don't know, the way that I was brought up, my household, it was a it was a household of, of um, yeah, actions, of gestures. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, obviously, you know, it's it's a mixture of both. And, and we we know that we all have our different ways of receiving and giving love. But I wonder, with that whole thing about love being a verb, how do we apply that to self-love? Because we've talked about how healing and self-love is a sort of lifelong process. But yeah. when we're talking about how we practice that love to ourselves in a practical way, how how does one go about that? Is that equally an action too? It can be. It definitely can be. I think... I think we kind of have to flip it on its head. So how do you show love to your partner? Or sh- how do you show love if you don't have a partner? If you How have you shown love to a partner in the past? How have you shown love to your daughter or son? How have you shown love to your parents, your friends, and so forth? There's actions that you've taken which signify love. In that essence, your friend or the person on the receiving end knows that you love them through those actions. So then we have to flip it on its head and say, how do we know we are loved by ourselves? And although statements are important, so for example, an affirmation saying, I love myself, I accept myself for who I am, might be one way. It's also actions that kind of cultivate that essence of love towards yourself. So what do you do to demonstrate unconditional acceptance towards yourself? What do you do to accept who you truly are beyond what society says that you should be or thinks you are. And that could be something as simple as doing something you love. It could be a hobby. It could be some form of creativity. It could be art. It could be writing, writing poetry. It could be taking yourself out. Now, some people might say, well, that's almost a kind of superficial way of looking at love or self-love. But within that moment, what you've identified is, or what you've shown gratitude towards is your existence, who you are. Some of us feel the most alive 
when we're engaging in some form of creativity. A lot of the times people don't. So I think I spoke to someone recently and they said, you know, I'm so, I'm so busy with my kids and my job and my husband, and I just don't have time for myself. Um, I enjoy doing pottery, but I just never get time to do it because obviously I have to take care of everyone else. And for them, self-love would actually be doing the pottery because that's something that they enjoy. That's something that expresses who they are, what they're drawn to, what they enjoy at the deepest level. So those actions can be applied to ourselves and can be an expression of self-love too. You have to find the thing that makes you feel, I suppose, accepted. It makes you feel like you're accepting yourself as the whole human that you are. And those things might be simple things that you enjoy. It could be just going for a walk, even going to the gym going to the gym, you're actually taking care of your physical vessel, your body as well. And because we're so busy committing to our daily struggles and our daily tasks, that sometimes we forget about ourselves. So self-love, like I said that's earlier in the show, is remembering yourself in everything that you do. And that can be signified by small actions that you take. Recently, I've been thinking a lot about how even though we can cultivate things when we're by ourselves. <laughs> we do, we learn things from other people. We learn how to love from, from our caregivers, from our other relationships, from our friends, from all of that. Self-love. Where did you learn how to show your self-love? <laughs> that's a, that's a great question. <laughs> it feels like such a simple but loaded questions. I think what I realized was that who I think I am is not just a series of, you know, experiences or things that I've gone through in the past, but it's also who people have told me that I am. It's also made of a lot of the responses I've received from the world. And I take what people say as a response of my identity, and then I live my life through that identity, not realizing that's not actually who I am. That's what I've been told I am. So... With self-love, and I'm going to just give you a bit of a, a backstory because I think it's really important. I'm a massive advocate for positive thinking, and I truly believe that by having a positive mindset, you can lead a positive life. But I also believe, and I learned this the hard way, that a lot of us suppress negative emotions for the sake of having a positive mindset, and it can be very unhealthy. And I learned that in my early 20s where I had suppressed so much that... I kind of lost the will to live. I was in a very low period in my life and I felt like I didn't belong on this planet. I'd almost given up on all kind of purpose in life. I just thought everything that I've gone through and everything that I continue to do just goes wrong. And after that moment, I said to myself, I would never, never want to feel as low as I did in that particular moment. So I said to myself, I need to learn to love myself. I need to embark on an organic journey of self-love and not this kind of suppressed version of self-love because denying who you are is not self-love. It's just hiding things away. Self-love is accepting all of you, the good, the bad, the ugly, and 
I'd led, been led to believe before that, that because positivity was so important, self-love is just being positive about every single thing that you experience. But actually, it's just about showing yourself grace in, in, in moments and showing yourself grace for things that you've been through. And there's no handbook, I suppose, that tells you how to love yourself. And if you've ever read my book, Good Vibes, Good Life, it's a very simple manual for living your greatest life. And in that book, I've given a definition of what I believe self-love is in practical terms. And it's the balance between accepting yourself as you are and knowing you deserve better and working towards it. And the only way you can do that is is just by facing yourself. It's by facing your thoughts of who you are. It's about asking yourself questions. There's this kind of spiritual ideology that the answers are all within. And when you say that, you think, right, that sounds great, but it also sounds quite fluffy. I believe in it, but I also believe to get those answers, you have to ask yourself the right questions because questions lead to answers. And when I was doing soul searching and I was trying to embark on this journey of self-love, that's what I did for myself. I asked myself questions. Who am I beyond what people have told me I am? Why do I feel a certain way? Why do certain experiences trigger certain feelings? Why have I blocked off love after these previous relationships? Why do I feel so sad? If I feel angry, is anger the primary emotion or the secondary emotions? And I've just started digging. And I think as I started digging, I started to build this really healthy relationship within with who I actually was beyond the conditioning of society, beyond what people said I was or who I needed to be to be accepted in the world. And I started to realize that I had these people pleasing tendencies because I didn't want to be rejected by society. You know, a lot of the time people tell you that you need to put other people first. And that's that's obviously very important to to be there for other people. But just as they say in aeroplanes that you need to, you know, take care of yourself, you put down your own safety mask before you attend to a child or someone beside you. It's so important. We're so used to neglecting ourselves and foregoing our own needs for the sake of trying to please other people. But actually what we don't realize is that although we think we're being selfless through these people pleasing tendencies, what we're actually doing is we're trying to stay safe. We're trying to be accepted by other people. And it was those kind of realizations that made me realize that I wasn't living life authentically. I was living life in the way I thought I had to live life. And so for me, self-love was just this journey of self-exploration. It was self-inquiry. It was finding out why I had certain behavioral tendencies, why I built certain habits, why I had certain emotions or held on to certain emotions and thoughts throughout my life. And by doing that, I could then identify things that I wanted to change, that I needed to change, but also things that I couldn't change. And even to this day, sometimes people criticize me for my voice and in the past, you know, it, it, it knock you down. And when it knocks you down, you almost, you almost go silent because you don't want to speak because you, you have this fear of being criticized. But what I realized that although I could maybe, you know, have 
like vocal training or so forth. Like the voice is something I was born with. And if a God did exist, I don't believe a God said, hey, I'm going to make this human being ugly or I'm going to make this human being this or that. That doesn't happen. It's human beings who's probably struggle with their own insecurities that project it onto other people and make them feel bad. And it's that whole idea of hurt people hurting other people. And I really had to then face myself and say, look, these are the things I can work on. I know I need accountability in these certain areas because I'm just kind of creating my own chaos. I'm creating my own heartache in these certain areas. But these other areas, for example, how I was born, what I look like, they're things I just need to accept. They're things I can't change. That's not to say that people don't change certain things. Um, That's okay. And that's a personal choice. But I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to conform to what society thinks that we need to be when all they're really doing is projecting their fears and insecurities onto us. So then we change not for ourselves, but for them. Thank you for sharing that. I know how difficult it must have been to come from a place where you kind of outwardly professed uh, this you know, belief in, in positivity in your early 20s, how you understood it then, and to then have to challenge that in such a sort of complex and difficult and, and at times very painful way. Was there a particular individual or perhaps a group of individuals who helped you to begin that process of self-inquiry? Not really, if I'll be completely honest with you. One thing I will say, though, is that books played a massive part in my life. For those of those listening who don't know my kind of my background, I didn't grow up in the most favorable circumstances. So I was I was homeless for approximately three years of my life. So I was without a home. I experienced severe poverty, racism, violence growing up. A lot of days my mum struggled to put food on the table. Um, I faced gun crime, all kinds of things. And in saying that, I still also want to stress that although that was tough for me, you know, I'm I'm, I'm a, a man that was born in the United Kingdom and that also comes with its privileges. There's people who have suffered or endured far tougher circumstances. And I'm not trying to downplay or minimize my own because I wouldn't wish what I went through on anyone else. But I do realize that, you know, there's, I suppose, magnitudes to to pain and the turmoil that people face. I suppose I played victim for a long time. And some people say, well, you had every right to play victim because you were surviving for a lot of your childhood. And I was, that's correct. But I didn't want to accept the reality that I was facing. I wanted better for myself and my family. Like there was, you know, a good period of my life where I woke up every single day and I I said to myself, this is just another day in hell. Like, I don't know when things are going to change. And I don't know even by having these dreams, if they're realistic or if I'm just, you know, if I'm kidding myself. But when I would talk to people around me, they would tell me to accept the reality that I, I, I was living because all they knew was heartache and suffering. They could, they were facing the same adversities as me and they didn't know a better way. But I didn't quite like that answer. I didn't quite like that perspective on life. I felt like I needed another avenue. And in my late teens, I turned to self-development books. And the first book I ever read was this book called Think and Grow Rich by 
Napoleon Hill. And that's where I adopted this idea of positive thinking. And I started studying. I used to always wait because I'd experienced so much poverty in my head at the time. I thought the answer was always going to be more money and wealth. Right. So I would wait until I think it was the Sunday Times would publish their rich list. And I would look at the top 10 and I do research into every single person in that top 10. And there was this one year where I think three of those 10 people were orphans. And I thought to myself, wow, like these guys have experienced severe, I suppose, poverty and really difficult upbringings. And they've still managed to achieve this amazing success. So if they can do it, why can't I? And I started to really reprogram my mind and started to think different. And that helped me a lot. But when it came to self-love, you can read plenty of books, but the truest self-love or the truest form of self-love has to come from you and for you. And it can look completely different from person to person. And so for me, when I decided to embark on this journey of of self-love, I said to myself, I'm going to put the books away and I'm just going to sit with myself and face myself because I feel like even the books themselves are sometimes distractions. They're ways for me to not have to face what I really feel because facing what I feel is, is difficult. But Jay-Z said, <laughs> I think Jay-Z said in the song once, you have to reveal it to heal it. And I completely agree with that. But a lot of the times what we're doing is we're just looking for distractions. COVID was a really, or the pandemic was an amazing example People were locked within their homes and they found that period extremely difficult because a lot of the times what we're doing is we're using work, we're using um, certain plans that we have. We're using external things to escape what we would have to face if we were forced to slow down and face who we are and why we're unhappy with the life in front of us. I heard about and I don't know where I've, I can't remember where I read this, but I remember reading that divorce rates skyrocketed <laughs> through the pandemic because even couples found it difficult to spend a greater amount of time together in the same household. And I suppose a lot of us do that with ourselves. Who are we when we're not distracted? So when it came to self-love, it was almost like, look, I'm just going to start with being in my mind facing my thoughts, questioning those thoughts. Where did they come from? Who taught me that particular thing? And that's how I started this journey of self-love. And when I write the books, I keep those things in mind. I think there's practical ways to show yourself self-love. But essentially, the journey of self-love has to be defined by you. And it has to serve you in the way you need it to serve you. And that can look different from person to person. Finally, Vex. What's your alone month? The time when time alone is objectively joyful or fulfilling or all those things. This is a different answer to probably an answer I would have given 10 years ago. But um, if I be complete and nothing makes you, well, it doesn't make you feel alone, but nothing inspires or encourages solitude more than this one particular practice. And it's, it's meditation. I sit in meditation every single morning. Um, from around 45 minutes to two hours 
if I'm busy, I sit in meditation for longer because I need it more. <laughs> and there's nothing I think else, I, I suppose, in the world that makes you want to enjoy your own company. I find the practice of meditation to be blissful, joyful, and just replenishing. And that can probably sound quite foreign to a lot of people, especially if they struggle with meditation. But it's just something that really find, helps me find solace. So that's my, I suppose, way of uh, alonement that I enjoy most. So just a little final let's call it an addendum to say that this is the final episode of season eight as ever it's been such a pleasure and a privilege to put this together for you i'll be taking my usual break between seasons but the show will be back before you know it in the meantime if you particularly loved one of these episodes and you have someone in your mind who you think might enjoy it too do go ahead and share Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.